If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 as we talk about mission possible. A former mentor of mine, Dan Summerlin, pastor of Lone Oak First Baptist Church in Paducah, Kentucky, years ago was in a seminary classroom. And the teacher began to tell them about the course, and he said, this is a reminder course. And he said that several times, and the students thought that he had misspoken. And uh, after a while, one student finally raised his hand to say, Professor so-and-so, don't you mean this is a refresher course? And the professor said, no, there is nothing about this class that needs to be refreshed or changed. This is a reminder of what you need to be doing and following what's in it. Today, we're in the final message of a sermon series called Thrive. Say the word thrive with me. Thrive. The first week, we talked about thriving in your relationship with God. Last week, we talked about thriving in your relationship with others. Today, we're going to talk about thriving as a witness in the world. You see, God didn't call us simply to survive. God didn't call us simply to get by in life and kind of hang on by the skin of our teeth and one day hopefully go to heaven. No, God has called us to thrive in our relationship with him. Say the word thrive with me, thrive. You see, the Bible says that you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you believe that? The Bible says if God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. The Bible says greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. The Bible says faith is the victory that overcomes the world. The Bible says that you serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all you can ask or think or even imagine. Do you believe that? That does not mean life is going to be easy. That does not mean you're going to have free sailing, no problems, everything's great, everybody thinks you're wonderful, amen? How many of you have already had an issue this morning before you ever got to church? All right, how many had a conflict with somebody? How many had somebody pull out in front of you in the road? How many had an issue, all right? We all have issues, right? We all have problems, we all have struggles, We'll have stuff that we have to deal with, but God says, I will be there with you in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the problem, in the middle of the pain, and I will help you to be victorious as you walk with me in my grace and power. Today, we're going to talk about the Great Commission, but first, let's start with some background and get some context. After Jesus had risen from the dead... He appeared to a total of more than 500 people. Here in Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus' disciples have gone to a mountain in Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. The Bible doesn't say which mountain. Some scholars believe it was Mount Tabor. We don't really know for sure where, but we do know this. The disciples were being obedient in the small thing. And if they hadn't been obedient in the smaller thing, they probably would have missed the greater thing. Too often, we miss the greater because we're not faithful in the smaller. Even the world gets that. You don't graduate from high school and immediately become the CEO of Amazon. You don't get a college degree and the next day you apply for a university president. No, you've got to be faithful in the smaller responsibilities before you get to do the greater ones. And God doesn't 
give us information simply for the sake of information. The purpose of God's word is not simply information, it's transformation. Say transformation with me. Transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I urge you, I plead with you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. There's that word, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to the other by the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we read a little earlier, says if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You're a new person in Christ and he's transforming you more and more increasingly into his image. You see, God's goal for you is not to help you become a Bible scholar. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the ultimate goal. No, God wants to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Verse 17. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This may be a reference to the 11 disciples who early on struggled with some doubts. Thomas, for instance. When Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, everybody was there except Judas, who'd already hanged himself, and Thomas, who didn't make it to the meeting. And when Thomas missed the meeting, the disciples saw Jesus, all except him, and they told Thomas, they said, Thomas, you're not going to believe it. We saw Jesus. And Thomas said, no, you didn't. I don't believe it. In fact, unless I can put my fingers into the nail prints in his hands and my hand into his side, I will not believe. He doubted. He struggled. How many of you ever struggled with doubts? Thomas struggled with some doubts. But later, Jesus would appear to Thomas, and Thomas would say, my Lord and my God. Yes, I do believe. So the disciples had struggled with some doubts, but probably Matthew 28 is referring to a larger group. Perhaps some of the 500 spoke about in 1 Corinthians 15, including Peter, James, and John, and the others, but a larger group as well. Whoever they were, they were gathered at the mountain where Jesus had promised to meet them. The fact that the time and place had been prearranged would explain the larger number of people present. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, even before his resurrection. Jesus was a man of authority. Matthew 7, 9 tells us that Jesus taught with authority. Matthew 9, 2 tells us that he exercised authority to forgive sins. In Luke 4, 36, Jesus used authority to cast out evil spirits. In John 10, 18, Jesus said, I have the authority to lay my life down, and I have the authority to pick it up again. Here in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority, say the word all with me, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is not just a person with authority. He is the ultimate authority. Revelation 19, 6 says he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Philippians 2 tells us that God the Father has given Jesus a name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If Jesus does not have authority, the Great Commission is a waste of time. Not only is it a waste of time, it is impossible to do in your own power. First of all, we can't save anybody. Only God can do that. It doesn't matter how many times you witness. It doesn't matter how often you share your faith. It doesn't matter how many doors you may knock on. It doesn't matter how many times you might tell somebody about Jesus. You can't save anybody. Look at the person next to you and say, you can't save anybody. You can't do it. You can't give anybody salvation. Only God can do that. Only God can save someone and cause them to be born again. Praise God, we get to participate. Dan Summerlin is right when he says, even from a human perspective, the Great Commission was an impossible first century task. Think about it. It was geographically impossible. They didn't even know about a whole lot of the world yet, let alone have a means to get there. It was financially impossible. The church in the New Testament was poor. They didn't have a lot of money. It was numerically impossible. Think about it. There were 120 people in the upper room. That's like the core of the church. There may have been 500 total who were loosely connected. Do you know how many people were living in the world in that time? I didn't know that before this week. Nobody really knows for sure. But scholars estimate there were between 200 and 300 million people in the world. And the church has about 120. It was numerically impossible. By the way, it's still pretty numerically impossible. You know how many people are in the world today? Close to 7.6 billion people. It looks like an impossible task, but Jesus has commanded us to go. It was legally impossible. In the Roman world, Caesar was Lord. And if you said Jesus was Lord and Caesar was not Lord, you can lose your life. You can be put to death. Many were. It was socially impossible. Christians were considered social outcasts in their world. The name Christian was more of a term of derision than it was of admiration in the first century. The church had an impossible task from the start. It still does. That's why when you quote the Great Commission, it's good to start with verse 18, which says, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. But truth be told, the question for most of us today is not whether or not Jesus is the ultimate authority. Most of us would probably believe that. The question for most of us is this, will you follow him as your ultimate authority? Will you follow Jesus Christ when he calls you to go to places where you don't want to go? When he calls you to forgive people that you don't want to forgive? When he calls you to love people that you don't want to love? When he calls you to do things that you don't want to do? Will you follow Jesus as your ultimate authority or will you not? You see, trusting and obeying Jesus Christ is the key to Christian living. That's just a little bit about Jesus' authority. Now take a look at our responsibility. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is not a suggestion. This is a commandment. This is not something the church needs to vote on. This is not a motion that needs a second. 
This is a commandment from the one who has ultimate authority. His name is Jesus Christ. Therefore, because we have the authority and the command of Jesus to go, we need to go. You see, the problem in Kentucky is not that we don't have enough churches or we don't have enough technology. It's not that we don't have a lot of preachers who preach the gospel. We can use a lot more of those things, but those are not the primary problem. The primary problem in the Bible Belt of America is that we don't go. Literally, the word translated go here might better be translated as you go. So as you go to your school, as you go to your workplace, as you go walk your dog in the neighborhood, can I get a witness? If you don't know, I got one about six months ago, and I'm getting a lot of walking in, okay, and I'm meeting a lot of neighbors. As you go to your school, as you go to that dreaded family reunion, how many you been to any of those? I really don't want to go. I really don't want to be there. But as you go, you are a witness for Jesus Christ, wherever you are, wherever you go, you represent him. We read that scripture this morning. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ in this world. So when you're flipping flags with the color guard, when you're cheering with the cheerleaders, you're playing basketball with the basketball team, when you go to work and you really don't like your job, when you go home to a family and people there get on your nerves, you are God's representative in this world, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ in places where you may not want to go, places where you may not want to be, but wherever you go, you represent him. You represent Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go on mission trips or give to mission offerings or have special occasions in our church when we get out into our community. All of that is good and important and necessary, but it's not limited to that. We are on mission daily, looking for, praying for, reaching out to people who need Jesus Christ. Amen? Verses 19 and 20, Jesus continues, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything, all things that I have commanded you. The thrust of Jesus' command here is to make disciples. It is surrounded by three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. The word go picks up the force of the command to make disciples and may correctly be translated as an imperative to go. We might say go, and as you go, make disciples. Not just converts, but disciples. We don't simply dunk them and drop them. We don't get them to Jesus and ignore them. We encourage them, we teach them, we help people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's one reason why Sunday school is so important. You can't stop me in the middle of a sermon and say, Kevin... I didn't get that back there in verse 17. Can we stop and talk about it for a little while? Okay, maybe after church we can do that. But I can't stop in the middle of the sermon and answer all your questions. But if you're in a Sunday school class with 10 or 15 or 20 people, you can stop. You can ask questions. You can talk about those things together. That's why small groups are so important. The more we grow, the more important small groups are going to be. 
Because the bigger we get, the smaller we've got to get. We've got to be more personal in reaching out to people because I can't reach out to everybody by myself. I'd like to. I'd love to hang out with all of you. You seem like pretty nice people. Amen? Everybody smile for just a minute. You're a nice person, aren't you? Why wouldn't somebody want to hang out with you? Hey, we do. But if I hang out with you and you and you and you and you and you and you, I'll never have time to study, will you? All right. So we have to have each other to teach each other. Relationships are important. Individual relationships are important. There are people in this congregation you can be a mentor to who need somebody to invest in their lives. And that's why the church as a body works together to touch people with the good news of Jesus Christ and help one another to grow in our faith. Jesus says, go ye therefore and teach, make disciples of all nations. It starts here, right here in our community, right here in our neighborhood, right here in our county, but it goes way beyond here, all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth. There are at least three challenges I see. Challenge number one, some people don't want to hear. Think about it. If you were to travel down Ring Road and go to the Muslim mosque, do you know where there's a Muslim mosque on Ring Road down there? And if you were to say, hey, I got some good news for you. I want to tell you about Jesus. How do you think they would respond to that? Probably not very well, right? Some people don't want to hear. And you have relatives who probably don't want to hear. And coworkers who probably don't want to hear. What do you do? Well, first of all, you pray. Remember what we said earlier? You can't save anybody anyway. But you can pray for people that God will work in their lives and God will cause them to want to hear. And you can serve. You serve those people in such a way that they will say, I don't know what it is about John or Mary or Sue or those people at Northside or those Christians in our community, but there's something about them that's different. They love me. They serve me. They reach out to me with no agenda attached. And we love them unconditionally, everybody. People who believe like us, people who don't believe like us. People of your political persuasion, people who are not. People who dress like you, act like you, think like you, and people who get on your nerves. How many got anybody that gets on your nerves? And you're sitting by them right now. It's like, oh man. Right? Hands are still up, okay? We love each other unconditionally, and we love people, even if they don't give a rip about what we believe. We still love them. We still pray for them. We still reach out to them, whether they ever believe or not. We care about people just because we care about people because God cares about people. But here's the second problem. Some people are open to hearing, but there's nobody telling them. It was Almost exactly four years ago, I went to a country called Bangladesh. How many of you have heard of Bangladesh? It's like surrounded by India, okay? It's over in that part of the world. And the great thing about Bangladesh is there are people there who are open, who love to hear somebody talk to them from America, no matter what it's about, Okay? And the vast majority of that country is Muslim, okay? It's like 98, 
But there's about a million people, maybe two million of people who are open to the gospel. And so when I went to Bangladesh, what we did, there we had about four or five teams and each of us kind of led a team. We had a translator, we had a water tester, and we had one of us who would share the gospel. And somebody would test the water while the other ones would share the gospel. And so when we arrived at the village, all these people would come out to see us. And they would bring us these little plastic chairs to sit in, like really, really cheap lawn furniture. And we would sit in the chair. We'd just tell them about Jesus for 5, 10, 15 minutes, and we'd give them a New Testament. They all wanted one. You can't do that in an apartment complex in E-Town. If I were to go to an apartment complex in E-Town and say, hey, I'm here to share Jesus with people, how many people do you think would show up? Nobody. But you go to Bangladesh, like, we want to hear you. You're from America. We want to know what you have to say. It's incredible. People want to hear what you have to say, even if it's the gospel, sometimes especially if it's the gospel. Whatever the situation, though, we always pray. We build bridges. We serve. We look for opportunities, and we go. If we can't go, we support people who can go. Think about it. What if it were your son? What if it were your daughter? What if it were your sister or your brother who is over there in another country and they are waiting for somebody to share the gospel with them but nobody ever came? Listen, it is somebody's son. It is somebody's daughter. It is somebody's brother. It is somebody's sister. And we have been commanded to go. Here's the third problem. Some people have heard, but they don't understand or they don't believe. That's the problem of the majority of people in Kentucky, I believe. They know about Jesus Christ. They probably aren't hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They know the basic facts about Jesus Christ. They know that he died on the cross. They know that he rose from the dead. They know he's planning to come back again. But many of them, and perhaps some of you, have never surrendered your life, their lives, to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Again, we can't save anybody, but we can be instruments of God to reach out to people who need Jesus as Savior and Lord. Two simple goals for Northside as it relates to our community. One was this. It'd be difficult to live in Hardin County, Kentucky and not know about Northside Baptist Church. You know, I think it'd be a tragedy if you were to go two streets over and say, hey, I'm from Northside Baptist Church. They're like, I never heard of you. It wouldn't be good, would it? But when you go to McDonald's, or you go to Walmart, or you go to the movie theater, or you go and you say something about, hey, I'm Kevin, I go to Northside Baptist Church. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that church. That's one goal. The second goal is this. It'd be difficult to know about Northside Baptist Church and not know that they care about people. It's not enough that people just know who we are. They must know that we care about them. We don't want people to say, you know, I've heard about that Northside Baptist Church. The people over there are arrogant. They're stuck up. You know, I, I knew somebody at Northside Baptist Church, and we had a run-in one time. I'd never go to that church. No, we have got to be. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though he were making his appeal to us the world. Now let me underline this. The ultimate goal is not about us. 
In everything we do, we point people where? To him, to Jesus Christ. In everything we do, we do it in the power of Christ, in the authority of Christ, for the glory of Christ. Amen? Jesus continues to say that we must be baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you've never been baptized, it's your move. Jesus is calling you to follow him in obedience in believer's baptism. Not only must we reach them, Jesus says we've got to teach them. An essential part of discipling is teaching by what we say and by what we do. This is both structured and non-structured. We teach people about the Lord, about God's word. Jesus continues <laughs> teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Listen, obedience is not selective. It's not like I really like this command and I really like that command and I really like to do this and obey that, but you know what? I can't do that one over there, Jesus. I'm sorry. She just gets on my nerves. I can't love her. That guy's a jerk. I'm not praying for him. God says, hey, you got to love everybody. We've got to obey him in everything. You see, obedience to Jesus Christ is not selective. It's not an option. You're commanded to obey him in all things. But can I tell you something? You're not going to be able to do that in your own strength. It's too difficult. It's too hard. can't do that in your own power. There's some people you can't love apart from the power of Christ. There's some things that you can't do. There's some places you probably can't go. There's some people that God is calling you to witness to. He said, I can't do it, Lord. Maybe you can't, but God can do it through you. He's calling you to be obedient to him in this world. The last part of verse 20 gives us some good news. Jesus says, and surely, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age the very end of the world, until he returns, he says, I will be with you. Isn't that good news? He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never stick you out there on your own and say, hey, Johnny, go for it. I'll follow you from a distance. No, Jesus says, I will be there with you. In fact, 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Isn't that good news? He doesn't say, hey, follow me the best you can and uh, see how it works out. No, he says, you follow me and I will be with you. I will give you my power for living. The Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. Philippians 1.6 says, he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Has he started a good work in you? He is not done with you yet. He is still at work in your life. Whether you're 6 or 86, 12 or 75, Older or younger, if you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, he is not done working on you. He's not done working on me. I know that. He's still working on us. We still have room to grow. 
He's calling us to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And as you and I do that together, watch our world, because we will be his witnesses in our world in a way like perhaps we have never seen before. And people will want to know the Jesus that we know. They'll want to know the Savior that we serve. They'll want to know the God in whom we believe because he's revolutionized our lives from the inside out. He's called us to go as his representatives in this world to share Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. Here's more good news. When you're partnering with Jesus Christ, reaching out to the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't just have a responsibility, you have an incredible privilege an opportunity. Think about it. You get to partner with the king of the universe. Isn't that amazing? You're not just hanging out with some low-level company. You're hanging out with God. You're partnering with God. You're partnering with the one who knows everything and can do anything. And he says, I'm going to partner with you in this mission. We'll reach out to the world We're not just going to do small stuff here, though the small stuff's important. We're doing incredible kingdom things, revolutionizing the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I plead with you, give your life to Jesus Christ today. It's not just some little church thing that people do. It is life-changing, revolutionary, eternity-lasting, life, abundant, fulfilling, eternal life. There is nothing that's more important than what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ and what we get to do in Christ. I close with this. In 1981, Apple Computer went public. Just two years later, Apple cracked the Fortune 500, and Steve Jobs recruited John Scully, the head of Pepsi-Cola, to be its new chief executive. But Scully had some reservations. Why would he want to leave a great-paying job at a successful company to join a bunch of computer nerds on the West Coast? Then Jobs gave Scully this challenge that he couldn't answer. The challenge was this. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water, or do you want a chance to change the world? How about you? Do you want to spend the rest of your life seeing how high you can go in the world's scale of importance? You want to see how high you can go in your video game opportunities. Do you want to see how high you can go in making the almighty dollar or being popular with your friends at school? Or do you want to be on mission with God to change the world in a way that's going to last for all of eternity? See, one day you're going to look back And some of you are going to say, thank God, I followed Jesus Christ. He used me as his witness in the world. 
some of you will probably look back and say, oh, I wasted so many opportunities because I tried to do it my way instead of trusting in and following Jesus Christ flat out, full bore, with every fiber of my being. You see, Jesus Christ is worth following. He's worth obeying. He knows what he's doing. How many believe Jesus knows what he's doing? Now, I'm clueless a lot of times, okay? But my God's not. I make a lot of mistakes, but Jesus doesn't. And if you will trust in him and you will follow him and you will obey him, I guarantee you on the authority of God's word that his life in view of eternity is a lot better than anything you can map out on your own. It may not always look like it. You may not always feel like it. You may not make more money. You might not have better health and success in the eyes of the world, but your life will make a difference for the glory of Jesus Christ as you honor his name. He's calling you to do that. For some of you, God's leading you to be on mission with this church. Now, we're not perfect. We haven't arrived. We've got a lot of growing up to do, like every church. But it's a place that wants to be on mission. If you want to be on mission with us, we invite you to join us. Whatever God is saying to you, won't you say yes to him? I'm going to pray, then we're going to stand and sing. You respond as God leads you.